And again, a very, very warm welcome to you on this joyous uh, Easter Sunday morning, whether uh, you're among uh, those who've been able to come out and join us uh, here in person or you're tuning in and joining us online, however or wherever you're uh, joining us this morning, we're so very glad uh, you're here. You know, for many of us, uh, Easter Sunday is our favorite service of the year, and not being able to gather last year because we were all uh, locked down and isolated in our homes, uh, it does feel doubly special to be uh, able to be here this morning uh, for worship. And, um, and yet there's also this sense that as we do, there's, 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 we, we come to celebrate the life, the new life that we have at Easter, But it's also like there's this weird disjoint with the reality that we've lived under for the past 12 months, the reality of COVID and death. And it's it's been a year where there's been so much talk about death. We've heard the numbers endlessly uh, repeated on the uh, news cycles, you know, more than a a half million dead in the United States and nearly three million worldwide. And, and for many, it, it hasn't been the aggregate number that they felt the weight of. It's been the bitter loss of an individual, of a family member or a dear friend. And, and in many ways, this past year feels like it's been a year defined by death. Now, obviously, death has always been with us. It's always been a very powerful presence. But over this past year, it's almost like the weight of death has seemed heavier. And it's not just COVID. People we know have also continued wrestling with cancer and going in for chemo treatments. And there's been strokes and heart attacks and tragic accidents and tragedies. All of these things have still continued to happen. So maybe it's just one of those times in our culture's history where we just haven't been able to keep the idea or the reality of death at arm's length as we so often like to do. It hasn't been so easy. We haven't been able to escape the reality so easily. Many of us have been forced to think more about it and become a little bit, for some, a bit more terrified by it. In fact, I even wondered how many of us have wrestled with the age-old question, how will I face death when it comes? And that has been a, a big question hanging around Uh, throughout humankind, for all of human history. In fact, 4,000 years ago, uh, a guy by the name of Job said some words that really, in a sense, stand the test of time. This is what he said. He said, when a person dies, will he come back to life? If so, this would give me hope through all my years of struggle, and I would eagerly await the release of death. In other words, if, if we kn- knew that uh, after we died, there was, there was a possibility that we would come back to life, it would change all of our struggles. We would eagerly await a day when struggles would be gone and, 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 and all, would be, all that would be left would be life. That question, when a person dies, will he come back to life, has transcended time philosophers have, down through the ages, have have wondered about it, and they've wrestled with the question. In fact, hundreds of years before the time time of Christ's birth, uh, Plato wrote these words. He said this, he said, no one knows whether death is really the greatest blessing a man can have, but they fear that it is the greatest curse. 
And Francis Bacon, the late 16th, early 17th century English philosopher said this. He said, men fear death as children fear to go in the dark. And as that natural fear in children is increased by tales, so is the other. And I just wonder if that's what our culture has kind of been experiencing this past year. There's been this kind of increased fear of death because we've been continually hearing stories of death. One of my favorite quotes on death comes from Dennis Leary, the comedian, uh, actor, producer. He said this. He said, most people think that life sucks and then you die. Not me. I beg to differ. I think life sucks. Then you get cancer. Then your dog dies. Your wife leaves you. The cancer goes into remission. You get a new dog. You get remarried. You owe $10 million in medical bills. But you work hard for 35 years and you pay it back. And then one day you have a massive stroke. Your whole right side is paralyzed. You have to limp along the streets and speak out of the left side of your mouth and drool. But you go into rehabilitation and regain the power to walk and the power to talk. And then one day you step off a curb on 67th Street and bang, you get hit by a city bus and then you die. Maybe. Death has always been something we've, we've wondered about and wrestled with. And in fact, the early church struggled with this just as much as we do. And in the ancient city of Corinth, there was a great debate about what happened when you died. And a lot of people just thought, well, when you die, you die. And so to this young church that was in this city of Corinth, the apostle Paul wrote a letter. And in one of the most amazing sections of his letter, he dealt with this idea of death. And it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where Paul starts with these words. He says this. He says, now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are be being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And what he's saying here is that there is a bottom line to the Christian faith. There is an irreducible minimum, minimum that if you don't have this, you don't have Christianity. If you don't have this, you don't have the gospel. And then he tells us what this thing is in 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 3. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. This is the gospel. Jesus died for our sins. He was buried and he was raised from the dead. In fact, let me say it even more simply. Jesus defeated death. What he did is he answered that age-old question from Job of when a person dies, will he come back to life with a big resounding yes. In fact, in an, another place, Paul wrote these words. He said in 2 Timothy 1.10, our Savior Christ Jesus who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. I love that phrase. He says, Jesus abolished death. Now that's a bold statement, especially considering the fact that it seems like death is still looming, that death remains like an unwelcome intruder in our world. In, in fact, if you think about it, it's kind of weird that the cross has become the symbol of the Christian faith. I, I, think about this for a moment. The, the cross 
was an inst instrument of execution. It, it kind of like be like it, it's kind of like having an electric chair or a, a noose or a firing squad as a symbol of, of of your faith. I mean, just imagine you know having a little you know a little electric chair hanging from around your neck. And when we think about the cross, obviously we rightly think of Jesus. But over the, the years, there's been, a, there's been lots of people who have died and a lot of people who have been executed and a lot of people who've died on crosses. In fact, in, in 519 BC, the Persian king Darius, uh, he executed, he crucified 3,000 Babylonians. In fact, just after the time of Christ, in the year 66, in, in one year, the Romans crucified so many Jews. They crucified 3,600 Jews that they ran out of wood. They didn't have any wood left for the crosses. And so many people have died. So, so many have been executed. So many people have died on crosses. And I don't want to take anything away from the absolutely vital importance that Jesus died on the cross. But the bottom line is this, if there's something we must hang our faith on, it's not simply that Jesus died on the cross, but that he was buried and that he rose again. We must hang our faith on the idea of the empty tomb. It's the, the resurrection of Jesus. Because countless people have died on crosses, but only one came back to life. And that is why Paul was clear to stress that both the cross and the resurrection were of first importance. The resurrection is as much a part of the gospel as Jesus dying on the cross. In fact, the, the, the cross has no meaning, cannot have meaning apart from the resurrection. And so important was the res resurrection that, G that Paul briefly in this passage um, he goes through the many times that Jesus appeared to the disciples after the resurrection. Even, he's saying, appearing last of all to himself. But some of the folks in the church in Corinth, being as they were in the modern secular world of Corinth, they said, well, well, we really can't believe that a man rose from the dead. We really can't believe he rose, that he came back from the dead. But, but that's all right. It doesn't matter. Well, is that true? Does it matter? Is it really such a big deal? Can't you be a Christian without believing in the resurrection? Well, the simple answer is no. Well, why not? Because of death. You know, if you think about it, death is a relatively recent concept in the whole scheme of things. Because, first of all, there was eternity, and that went on for a pretty long time. And then God got busy making all of creation. And the crowning achievement of his creative work was the creation of man, of humanity. And they lived in a perfect world. There were no thorns, there were no thistles, there was no sorrow, there was no mourning, there was no death. Everything was created perfectly to last in harmony with the entire universe for all eternity. There was no death. And then tragically, there was. Death stepped into the picture because of sin. In Romans 5, it says this, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, in this way death spread to all people because all sinned. 
Death is like a virus that no amount of social distancing can cure because we are all already infected with it. Death spreads that fast. I mean, the first human born on earth, Adam and Eve's son Cain, killed the second person born on earth, Adam and Eve's son Abel. Death increased its stranglehold so fast on creation that, that every person on the planet became infected by death. And death just relentlessly tracks down each one of us, catching and wrestling us to the grave. Death wanders around the earth, stalking its prey. And 2,000 years ago, death took Jesus, the Son of God, the sinless Son of God. Jesus lived a sinless life. He is the only one who has ever not deserved death. And yet death nailed Jesus to a cross. It was death's ultimate victory. In fact, so great was death's victory here that that this is the earth's response. The earth responded physically to Jesus' death. Look at this. These are are Jesus' last moments described in Matthew 27. It says, but Jesus cried out again. He's hanging on the cross. Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, and he yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook, and the rocks were split. The tombs were also opened, and many bodies of the saints who'd fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Do you catch that? I mean, this is one of the most overlooked parts of the Easter story that nobody ever talks about. When death claimed its ultimate trophy, Jesus, in that moment, something remarkable happens begins to let go of others. Others come back to life. I mean, it's, it's like a little kid holding a whole bunch of toys and they see a, a bigger toy. What do they do? They got to let go of the little toys to grab the big toy. It's almost like death was holding on and death just began to lose its grip. That's what happened with, with death. Death just let go of a, a whole bunch of people. A whole bunch of people just rose from the dead and wandered back into town after Jesus' resurrection. And for three days, death held on to Jesus. And then after those three days, Jesus did what no one else had ever done before. He defeated death. He himself rose from the grave. And in doing so, he abolished death. And the thing is, even though Jesus had predicted over and over that he was going to do this, no one really believed that he was actually going to do this. But, but, but think about it. I mean, would you have believed him? I mean, imagine a close friend or a, a family member promises you that, that, that they're going to come back from, from death. And, 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 and then they are brutally murdered. Like, brutally murdered. And then you watch as they're brutally torn apart body is buried into the ground. You would think, well, that's that. And that's how the disciples felt. They, they were not expecting that Jesus was going to come back. They had completely given up. And, and, and for those of you who know the Easter story, you know that the first people to arrive on the scene on that Sunday morning were, were a few of his friends. And do you know what those women were doing? 
They were going to Jesus' body to finish the embalming process. And even when an angel shows up and tells them that Jesus has risen from the dead, this, is what this is, was the reaction. It's in Matthew 16. It says this, They went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. They were seized by trembling and astonishment. And, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. And eventually, though, they got over their fear, and they told the other disciples what they saw. And this is what they said, John 20, verse 2. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. You see, even after predicting what he was gonna, that he was going to defeat death, Jesus' closest friends, these women, did not even consider that Jesus was serious, that he, that, he, that he wasn't mistaken somehow about it. They didn't even consider for a moment that Jesus might actually be coming back from the dead. It was just too implausible for them. I mean, he was a nice guy, he meant well, taught some great things, was a great guy to have at a party when the wine runs out. But the reality was, the people who knew him best, the people who loved him most, had to be convinced against their own will that he was alive. In fact, one of the the most famous stories about uh, one of, of his disciples, Thomas, who everybody calls Doubting Thomas, which I think is a bit unkind of a way to describe him because he's just the kind of guy that, like many of us, he we would have responded like, like Thomas. He was just a guy who said it the way it was. And so this is how he's described in John 20. He said, when they told him that Jesus was alive, he said, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails, which is odd, and place my hand into his side, which is even odder, I will not believe. Then it says, eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. So for a week, they're trying to convince him, no, serious, Thomas, Jesus has come back from the dead. We've seen Jesus. He's come back from the dead. It says, although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And he, Jesus, said to Thomas, hey, put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Don't disbelieve, but believe. And it took a while for all the disciples, but they finally got it. And the entire church of Jesus was established on this fundamental core truth. Jesus lived a sinless life. Jesus died on the cross, Jesus was buried, and Jesus rose again, conquering sin, Satan, and death. And now, to that early church, Paul talks about this resurrection to them, and he simply says this in 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 12, he says this, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. 
And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. What Paul is saying here is it's vital that you believe that the resurrection actually happened because he gives four consequences that happen if Jesus did not rise from the dead, if there's no resurrection of the dead. And the faith, first is, our faith is useless. What, What he's basically saying is if there is no resurrection of the dead, we've based our entire faith system on a lunatic who said he was going to be raised from the dead but didn't, or that there were a bunch of people who scammed the whole world into saying that he did. So either our faith is built on a lie, or it's built on a scam if there is no resurrection from the dead. In other words, there's no reason to be part of the Christian faith if there's no resurrection from the dead. Either Jesus rose from the dead, or The disciples were scam artists, or Jesus was a crazy person. And if they were scam artists, our faith is the, uh, in the object of their scam is even worse than useless. The second reason that we must believe in the resurrection is if the resurrection didn't happen, then we are still guilty of our sins. It says in Romans 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's assume for a second that Jesus was the Son of God. And let's say that Jesus never sinned. And let's say that Jesus actually did take our sins to the cross and he died on the cross. Let's say all of that is true. Well, if all of that is true and Jesus it didn't come from, back from the dead, sin still wins because death still wins. And if death still wins, we're still under the curse of death. And so if Jesus didn't come back from the dead, we, we, we wouldn't be set free from, from, from death. If, we, if, if you go back to Roman, uh, Romans 4, it says this. In Romans 4, verse 24, it says, It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from, from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Jesus must be raised from the dead. Otherwise, we're still dead in our sin. And the third reason that Paul gives us why we must believe in the resurrection from the dead is that if the resurrection didn't happen, and it's weird the way he says it this way, but he's basically saying we'll never see our loved ones again. I mean, he's basically saying if there is no resurrection from the dead, then when we die, we just die. That's it. If the resurrection didn't happen, then, then this life is all there is. But listen, there is so much more to to this life. You know, so often we think about heaven as just sitting on a cloud playing a harp for all eternity. And here's the thing. If that's the case, I will want to die for a second time. I don't want that. But the biblical picture of heaven you see is so different from that. The picture is of an eternal city that is placed in a new earth with all of creation now recreated and renewed 
that we can explore forever with the new glorious bodies that we get just like Jesus had a new glorious body. And we get the people to be with the people uh, who have died in Christ before. And it will be life together with no sin and no sorrow, no pain and no tears, no coronaviruses and no cancers. And we will be with Jesus and, and, and the people who have believed in him forever. You know, we often say, when, after someone dies, what do we say? We say, well, we'll see them again one day. And it's, and it's, 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 a, it's a thought that, 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 you know, brings comfort to us in a time of, lo- of loss. But listen, it's a total nonsense statement if there is no resurrection. But because there is resurrection, we will get to see again all the people who have died in the Lord Jesus Christ. And fourth, Paul says, if the resurrection didn't happen, we are to be pitied amongst all people. And that pretty much goes without saying. If we believe in something that is utterly useless, that has no power to to forgive us, it can't reconcile us to God, if we have no hope for the future, then Christians are the most pathetic people ever. We're we're just wasting our time. I know I'm wasting my life. In fact, later on in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul takes it another level he's, uh, when, he, when he says this, If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. In other words, if we don't believe in the resurrection of the dead, we might as well hang up this whole thing. But if there is a resurrection from the dead, if death is not all that there is, then the opposite of all four of those things that Paul brought up are true. Our faith is not useless. Our faith has meaning. It gives meaning. It gives our lives meaning. We are not dead in our sins, but we are forgiven of our sins. We will see our loved ones who are in Christ again. That is a certainty, a promise that we can bank on and hold on to. And we are not pitiful. We are not pathetic. In fact, we are the most enviable people ever because of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that we have. And Paul ends this whole passage with some verses I just want to read to you because they're so wonderful. He says this, he says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed. For this imperishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass that saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What is the sting of death? It's sin. 
Death is kind of like a bee, and without its stinger, it's pathetic and it dies. And when Jesus died on the cross, was buried, and he rose again, it's like he ripped the stinger off of that bee. He took the stinger away from death, and, 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 and death has no sting anymore. Listen, friends, you and I weren't meant to be cowering in the face of fear and death. You and I weren't meant to to live our lives under the shadow of death. We were created from the dust to inherit life forever. But because of our failure, we've inherited dust. We've gone back to dust. And death has been this, this shadow, this veil that's spread all over all of the nations of the world, as the Bible calls it, a dark curtain that kind of covers the world, this, this blanket. But we're not meant to live. We weren't meant to live under this blanket. We were, we, that was not meant to be our desti- destiny. And the fear of death was not meant to define us. And yet so often does, doesn't it? Isn't this what really we do live in the shadow of? And yet someone has punched a hole through that curtain. Someone who's overcome it. Someone has, 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 has through his death, has overcome death. And through his giving of himself on the cross, has overcome the curse of sin and our shame. Uh, our death, our fear of death. Jesus has overcome and has overcome our greatest and last enemy. And because of that, he is able to fulfill what the prophet Isaiah wrote so long ago, before Christ even appeared on the scene. He wrote, uh, the prophet Isaiah wrote this in chapter 25, and, and this is one of my f- absolute favorite passages of Scripture. And with this, I'll close. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine. A rich, uh, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. Listen, we are changed people because we know the end of the story. And the fear of death that grips so many people, it doesn't apply to us as followers of Jesus. Because we know that, that death's power is gone. And one day, in Jesus, death itself is going to die. And those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus, in his death, in his burial, in his resurrection, in that moment, we're going to, we're going to get to see death die. And so this Easter, don't fear death. Place your faith in Jesus maybe for the first time ever today or maybe for the thousandth time today. And keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and know that in him, if you've believed in him, he will make you alive for all eternity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Jesus' sinless life. We thank you for his death, burial, resurrection. We thank you that... After he rose from the dead, he was seen by people. It's a historic fact. They saw him, and then he ascended into heaven where he is seated at the right hand of God the Father right now, advocating for those that he, that he has made alive. And so in these uncertain times, help us to be people who place our hope in Jesus and Jesus alone, that, 
that he, that he has made us alive and he will one day fully make us alive in him when death is killed once and for all. Oh, we thank you that, that Jesus has defeated death and we look forward to the day he throws death into the grave forever. And we pray this in Jesus' victorious name. Amen. Amen. Before we come and receive the Lord's Supper together uh, this morning, will you please, again, stand if you're able uh, and join me in professing our faith together uh, from Philippians 2. You'll find it in your worship guide as we declare this, uh, our faith together. Though he was in the form of God, Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. And you may be seated once more. And this meal that we come to this morning, Lord's Supper, it's for those who believe in and trust uh, in those things that Paul has been uh, describing this morning as of first importance, that Jesus died for our sins, that he was buried, that he was raised from the dead. It is for those who have been baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it is for those who are good, in good standing with any church. It doesn't have to be this church. Any church that believes and proclaims these things. And this is for you. And as we come, will you pray uh, with me? Father in heaven, please uh, consecrate. Please set apart these, these elements, the, the bread and the cup. Father, what you did physically through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, would you cause uh, new life and new abundance to emerge from our own hearts in light of those real things. Even in this moment, we thank you that you are present with us even now, even as you are seated, Jesus, right now at the right hand of the Father, always living to intercede for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.